All right. Good morning. Everybody showed up. When I came and sat down here on the front, there was still a lot of seats back there, so I'm glad you guys arrived. Hey, um, so we put words to the songs on the seats today because we know it was a little hard to see the screen, but it serves a dual purpose. If you just fold that thing in half, makes a great little fan, okay, because there's a lot of people in this room, and I will not be offended if I see you fanning. In fact, if somebody could just come stand here and fan me while... Uh, not really. Um, but uh, hey, I'm so glad that you guys are here as we worship together today. Um, and as Corey mentioned, there's a, there's a lot of needs uh, that we want to help be a part of, 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 of meeting. The, the hope boxes, um, the needs for the families who, who suffered devastating loss through a fire in Nairobi, Kenya. For those of you who don't know, uh, our church uh, partners with a church in Nairobi, Kenya, a slum area called Kawangwari. It's called Hope Church, Pastor Brian King. And our, our, our church was a part of helping plant that church um, wow, almost 15 years ago. And uh, God is blessed in an incredible way. And we're excited about planting another church in January. We send out Arthur and his family and team to plant a Restoration Church in Sanford, Florida. Um, and as we do that, as we, as we give, um, God responds and provides. And as Corey said, sometimes it's counterintuitive. We say, yeah, but, but we need that. Um, and in God's economy, uh, we can do more with less. And it's incredible the way God provides. So church, you have always been generous, and I am so grateful for how you respond. A few weeks ago, we told you about a need in Haiti. Uh, our missionaries, Lionel and Francette Fredericks and Jacques Mel, and you gave over $2,500 to meet that need, and uh, we were trying to raise $2,000, and you went above and beyond. And they, uh, this week, uh, Francette was in town, and we were able to give her that money. And uh, so thank you for how you respond over and over and over again. So grateful to be a part of a church like this church. Well, we're starting a new series today. It's called Why, and we want to look at some of the big questions of life. Why do fires happen in places that are stricken with poverty, and seemingly the most vulnerable people are the most affected when tragedy like that comes? Why does that kind of stuff happen? Why do worldwide pandemics shut down our, our world for 18 months? Why why? Do people get sick and die? Why, why do children suffer? I, I mean, there's big questions in life. And we have to answer those questions. But if we're going to answer those questions, we have to have a source of truth for those answers. And so this morning, as we kick off this series, Why, we want to start by establishing that there really is a source of truth. Otherwise, it's just opinions, right? And so this morning, we, we want to look at why does truth matter? Why does truth matter? If you're joining us online, we're so grateful that you're here with us today as well. And so grateful that you're here in the room. We want to look at why does truth matter. And we live seemingly in a culture that, um, that really struggles with truth, right? A, a culture that's cynical about truth claims. And we're going to look at that a little bit more. But there's a passage in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 18, uh, this records Jesus' trial before Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor of the area of Judea, where Jesus was ultimately crucified. 
Jesus was arrested by uh, religious leaders of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, and, and they were not able to sentence him to death, so they had to bring him to the Roman government who had the authority to execute him. So Jesus appears before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate's questioning him, and, and Jesus isn't really responding, but in John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus says this to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jewish leaders. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You're a king then? Pilate responds. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied, and I was born for this. I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And listen to how Pilate responds to Jesus' claim. He says, what is truth? What is truth? The truth is that our culture is not much different from Pilate. We live in this cultural moment where everything is up for grabs. Truth is up for grabs. We, we live in a post-modern culture, or some would say a post-truth culture, where truth is based on our experiences. Truth is based on our ideologies. There are no absolute sources of truth. This morning, it's my goal to establish that there is a source of truth, and that truth is Jesus Christ and his teachings that we find in the Bible. So I want to pray, and, and then we're going to get into it today. And, and so uh, there's, a little bit of, uh, there's a little bit of philosophy in here. There's a little bit of history in here. And, and there's the truth of God's word, which ultimately has the power to transform us when nothing else can. And so let's pray that God would meet us with his spirit this morning. God, we love you. We thank you that you loved us enough to reveal truth to us. God, I pray this morning we would hear the truth, respond to the truth, and that your truth would set us free as you said it would. So, Lord, for those who are skeptical this morning, I, I pray that you would help them to listen with an open heart and open mind. For those who are certain this morning, I, I pray that you would help them to listen to your truth. Maybe uh, they're believing things that are not ultimately your truth, and I pray that you would cause them to see your truth, the ultimate truth. God, use me this morning. I thank you that your strength is made perfect in weakness, and I am weak this morning. Uh, this is intimidating, heavy stuff, so we need your spirit to guide us. We love you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So my man Pilate says, what is truth? Right? Have you ever, have you ever heard somebody ask a question like that? Or, or maybe you've heard somebody say, that may be true for you, right? Or, or I'm, I'm living my truth. We, we, we see that and hear those kind of statements so often in our culture. Really, our, our culture over the last 200 years, there, there's been a, a shift in how we think of truth. And, 
And from the, really the middle of the 19th century, critical philosophers uh, begin to, to um, tear down what we, what we thought of as, as concrete and certain truths. They begin to question everything. People like Friedrich Nietzsche, and, and you've probably heard that name. Um, he said a lot of things, and there's lots of quotes by him, but, but I think this one is the most uh, telling. He said this, what is truth but a lie agreed upon? What is truth but a lie agreed upon? And, and we see this attitude in our culture today, and there's other philosophers and, and psychologists and, 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 you know, bright thinkers and professors and teachers who have, who have slowly chipped away at what we thought of as truth. People like Friedrich Nietzsche and Sigmund Freud, and in more recent times, a, a guy named Michel Foucault, and, and today others who, who, who teach this idea of, of truth that, is, uh, that, that causes us to question everything. So why is it that we're so suspicious? Why is it that we're so critical of truth? And, and one of the main reasons that we see, especially in our culture today, is that a lot of people believe that truth uh, that, that ultimate truth claims harm personal freedom, right? If you tell me what to do, if you say this is true and this is what you're supposed to do, then, then you are stepping on my freedom, right? You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me who to love. You can't tell me, you know, what to believe. We, we live in this world and where, where freedom has become about total autonomy over the self. It's this individualized belief of what freedom is. If, if you tell me that I'm wrong, then you have stomped on my freedom. We have this attitude. You can't tell me how to live. You can't, you can't tell me uh, where to go, what to believe. My body, my choice, right? All of these statements. You can't, you can't make me wear a face mask, Right, because you can't step on my personal freedom. We live in this world where it's about personal freedom. Our cultural personal freedom and autonomy and even personal experience has become the ultimate measure of truth for so many. The, the, this leaves all truth up for interpretation, which brings us to this idea of either subjective or objective truth. You've heard, you've heard statements about subjective truth or objective truth. Subjective truth is, is based on my own personal feelings. So everybody point at yourself with your two thumbs and say subjective truth. Subjective truth is, is based on how I feel or, or my interpretation of events or my life experiences. It, subjective truth says the Miami Dolphins are the greatest football team that's ever been. That is not objective truth. I know that. They did beat the Patriots last week, barely, but uh, we're playing the Bills today. We'll see how that goes, right? Subjective truth is, is opinion. It's, it's based on my own experience. Now, everybody got to point to the outside of yourself and say objective truth. Objective truth is based on something outside of my own experience and my own feelings and my own interpretations. Objective truth says there is a source and it is not me. It is not my feelings. It is not my interpretations. There, there is an ultimate source of truth and it is not me. Subjective is about me. Objective is external. 
The problem is we live in a world that is full of subjective truths because we live in a world with almost 8 billion people and guess how many opinions there are in the world? 8 billion opinions. And the culture that we live in or the family we grew up in determines our truth. But there can't be 8 billion different truths. I mean, just, come on. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. This has led us to all these phrases about personal truth and finding my truth, and that may be true for you. You do you, I'll do me, right? This idea of, of subjective truth, and nobody really believes that anyway, right? We don't believe that I have my own truth and you have your own truth, because if we did, we wouldn't get so uptight with people who disagreed with us. <laughs> but we do. We're offended and we're bothered. Truth is too important to live up to my interpretation and my feelings. Hey, let me tell you something. In 100 years from now, your great-grandkids are going to think you were really dumb. (laughs) They're going to think you were really narrow-minded. It doesn't matter how progressive you think you are or how brilliant you think you are or how woke or up-to-date you think you are. 100 years from now, people are going to go, Those people in the 2020s, what were they thinking? Because that's how culture goes. And if we tie our truth to a cultural moment instead of an ultimate truth, we will live in the tyranny of the moment. Every generation, things get flipped upside down. And some people think that's progress, but they don't have a long-term view in mind because the next generation is going to think those people were nuts. It might take two generations, but it happens every time over and over and over again. That's what happens when our truth is subjective. But if we can have an objective truth, an object of truth, What is the object of our truth? Truth is too important to leave up to our feelings, right? If there is an ultimate truth, surely we would want to know that. If there is an object of truth, surely we would want to know that. I mean, the objection is it. it, truth harms my freedom or other people's claims about truth harm my freedom. But what makes you more free, pretending like the truth isn't true or submitting to the truth even if it challenges you? Like we could pretend like it's okay to eat McDonald's every day and die of a heart attack. Or we could recognize that that that's not good for us. There was a movie I don't know, like a documentary several years ago called Supersize Me. And this guy ate McDonald's breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. And his doctor said, you are killing yourself. You got to stop doing this. Because that's true. Our, our body is not meant to eat that every day, three meals a day. You might even really like McDonald's. And if you do, I'm so happy for you.
I mean, a McDonald's apple pie, that's, that is, there's something special about that, if they, if they do it right. So, anyway. Look, there, so, so there are truths. We know there are truths. But when it gets down to our personal feelings and our personal opinions, a lot of times we don't want to hear it, and we certainly live in a culture that struggles with Truth, I mean, are we really more free when we ignore an ultimate truth or when we submit to it even if we don't like it? And some of you may be thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what I would expect a Baptist preacher to say. (laughs) Because you guys are just trying to control people. You guys are just trying to, you know, uh, make everybody submit to your agenda. You guys are, you just want money. I mean, you guys already talked about money a bunch today. That's what it's all about. And right, that's another objection to truth in our culture. People say, truth is just a power grab. Critical theory has shaped the moment that we live in. Um, And and critical theory basically says this, it applies, you've heard of critical race theory, that's a big thing in in the news and culture right now, but critical theory does not just apply to to racial relations. Critical theory applies to every every category of our life. And critical theory basically says this, the people who who are powerful control truth. The people who are powerful, they control truth and they control the agenda. They rig the system so only they can win. That's, that's basically what critical theory says. And, and that shaped the moment that we live in. And so people say there is no truth because it's just the powerful people claiming that they know truth so that they can stay in control. And the truth is we live in a world where there are powerful people who try to shape the narrative for their own benefit. In politics and warfare, we call it propaganda. In, in media and culture, we call it advertising. <laughs> right? I mean, there are people who, who sell us a lie in order to get us to buy their product or vote for their candidate or believe their ideology. We, of course, we see it all the time. Now, that doesn't mean there's not still an ultimate object of truth. That means we live in a world where, where people will say anything and do anything to have control. Uh, the Bible talks about that over and over in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Bible talks about people who, who try to control others and who try to oppress and, and subjugate others to their will. The Bible's really clear that, that God is going to judge that and pour out his wrath against that. But that doesn't mean that there's no ultimate truth. In the book of Romans chapter 2, Paul is writing and he says, look, if there were some people who abused the truth, does that mean God is a liar? No. He says, let God be true and every man a liar. We live in a world where people abuse truth or their truth claims, but that doesn't mean that there's no truth, right? We know that that people could use good things for nefarious purposes. In fact, we're gonna talk about this next week. 
there is a spiritual dimension to the world, and there is a spiritual battle between good and evil. And Scripture tells us that the the evil one is Satan, the devil, and, and he uses lies to try to throw us off the scent of truth. We say, look, truth impedes my freedom. Or you're just trying to be in charge. You're just trying to make truth claims that that put you on the top. Well, if there is an objective truth, there is an object of truth, then we are all responsible. We are all subject to that truth. If I claim that the Bible is true, and I claim that the Bible is true, cover to cover, front to back. It is inspired and authoritative. I believe that with everything in me, and I think that is a reasonable belief. I am just as subject to this Bible as you are. It doesn't make me powerful. It makes me accountable. We have to recognize that ultimate truth is is outside of of any man-made institution. And all man-made institutions are ultimately accountable to the truth. So, our culture doesn't like truth because we've seen people abuse truth for their own benefit. Because we feel like people who make truth claims, especially from God's word, it seems so narrow and it seems so fill in the blanks, whatever it is that we don't like so bigoted, so narrow-minded, hampers my freedom. But if truth is objective and not subjective, then surely we would want to know that. If there is an ultimate truth that one day we will all be accountable to, surely we would want to know that. So we looked at this passage in John chapter 8 where Jesus appears before Pilate And Pilate makes the statement, what is truth? Right, what is truth? But the verse right before that, verse 37, Jesus says, you say that I am a king, and I was born for this. I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Jesus says that he came to testify to the truth. So let's look for a minute at what Jesus says about himself. Let's look for a minute at what Jesus says about truth because if, if, if there is an object of truth, if there is an ultimate source of truth, surely we would want to know. And if Jesus claims to be the one who will ultimately reveal truth, then we should listen to him. There's lots of places in Scripture where Jesus makes claims about who he is, that he is God in human flesh. But I want to look at just one verse. It will be familiar to many of you because in it, Jesus makes a pretty bold claim in John 14, verse 6. Jesus told him, one of his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He goes on, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
That's a pretty straightforward claim. There's not a lot of gray area there. They, you know, there's, there's not a lot of room for interpretation. Jesus just says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says that he came to testify to the truth, and here is the truth that he testifies to. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you may say, yeah, yeah, but I don't believe the Bible. It, it's full of error. It's full of, you know, it, it's just, you know, man's interpretation about who Jesus was. Well, I believe the Bible, and, and I believe it's reasonable. I believe that, that there are lots of reasons we can trust the authority and reliability of Scripture. There, there's three main reasons. One is, is textual evidence. The Bible has more existing manuscripts and texts than any book in human history. More than any book in human history. The, the Iliad and the Odyssey, the, right, the Greek uh, epics written by Homer, they, they have the amount of manuscripts pales in comparison to the amount of manuscripts that we have for the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Over and over, we, we find new manuscripts and evidence, and over and over, they align. They don't tell different stories. There are not different versions of God's word. They tell the same story about a God who created humanity and who sent his only son to redeem humanity back to himself. We see it over and over, and, and the texts line up. Now, there are some discrepancies, but their punctuation, there, there are, every once in a while, a little phrase has been added, but they do not change the continuity in the story of Scripture. And, and there are critics of Scripture who would come along and say, yeah, but we have other manuscripts that say other stuff. There are other Gospels. There's the Gospel of Thomas, and there's the Gospel of Mary, and, and there's, there's, there's these other, uh, other Gospels that have been discovered, and, and some of them say really crazy stuff. But here's what you need to know. Uh, nobody ever taught that they were Scripture, right? Church leaders and church fathers, they never said, we endorse these. Never, ever, ever. In fact, they were always written off as heretical. And so now new scholarship, there's a, some of you have heard the name Bart Ehrman, right? He, he's, a, he's a critic of, of, of Scripture, the historicity and reliability of Scripture. And, and he loves to point to all these other writings. And, and he gives them the same weight as the canon, the, the finished work of Scripture. And that's just not, that's not intellectually honest. That's a, that's a bad argument. Because the textual evidence points over and over and over and over and over to the reliability of Scripture. Beyond that, the, the, the writings that we have, some of them date to within 30, 40, 50, 60 years from the death and resurrection of Jesus. By the way, that's remarkable. Because it was written on parchment and animal skins. For that to survive for almost 2,000 years, that's remarkable. And to say, well, we don't have any writings from the day after it happened. Yeah. Why would we? 
That was 2,000 years ago. But we have this incredible volume of evidence. The Apostle Paul, everybody knows he died around AD 60. And even scholars who are critical of the claims of Scripture recognize that his writings, which were really clear about who Jesus was and what he came to do and how we can have faith and how we can know God, they were all scholars believe they were in circulation before 60 AD. In other words, 30 years after the death of Jesus Christ, when people were still alive who knew what Jesus said, the Apostle Paul's writings were in wide circulation. There's textual evidence that points to the reliability of Scripture. There's historical evidence, right? Our, our understanding of Scripture is not only based on Scripture. There is history that points to the reliability of Scripture. There are Roman historical writers. There's a guy named Josephus, and there's a guy named Tacitus, and there's a guy named Suetonius, and, and they point to the early Christians and what the early Christians believed about the deity of Jesus Christ. There are uh, archaeological uh, findings that, that point to the historical reliability of Scripture. I, I love it. There's some... There's, uh, there's this little thing they found in Rome. It's called the Palatino Graffito. It means graffiti. Uh, and so there was this, um, in, in one of the Roman garrisons where the soldiers lived, uh, there's this scratching on the wall. They, they scratched it into the stone wall, and it's a man on a cross with a horse's head. And it says, Alexander worships his God, and it's got a little stick figure bowing down to this man with a horse's head on the cross. People were making fun of Christians <laughs> and mocking what they believed because nobody else taught about a God who died on a cross. That's, that only comes from Christianity. But, but that already in Rome, right? Christianity, if, just to give you a little history lesson, it started in Jerusalem and in Israel, right? Which was like a backwater, nowhere little place in the Roman Empire, but it transformed an entire empire and the world. There's historical evidence, there's cultural evidence. The earliest Christians gave their life, gave their wealth, gave everything they had for the story of a God who came in human flesh and died to pay the penalty for our sins. There were other people who claimed to be Messiah over the course of time. In the book of Acts, chapter 5, the religious leaders say, you know, Judas came along and these other guys came along and, and they were, their, their followers were killed and they just went away. And so this one religious leader in Acts chapter 5, you can look it up later, he says, in this present case, let's just leave these disciples of Jesus alone because if it's of man, it's going to fail just like all the other ones did, but if it's of God... Nothing can stop it. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible. Because it makes no sense that this little group of 120 people in Jerusalem would change the world. There's textual evidence, historical evidence, cultural evidence. And I can't prove the claims of Scripture. But they are reasonable. It's not pie-in-the-sky fantasy stuff. For 2,000 years, there has been a credible record of the authority of the Bible. And you don't have to feel stupid for believing it. 
Now, we live in a culture and a world that wants to make you feel stupid and narrow, but yet, that's not honest. It's reasonable. It's a reasonable faith. So, if Jesus came to testify to the truth, and if Jesus testified that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one could come to the Father except through him, and we know that because it's recorded in Scripture, and it's reasonable to believe the authority of Scripture, then what are we going to do with this claim of Jesus? If Jesus really did make the claims that he made in the Bible, you may have heard this before, then, then one of three things is true. He, he's either a liar, that he said these things, but they weren't true, and, and Jesus said these things. It's Jesus, historically, it's a fact that Jesus said the things that he said. And if he said them and they weren't true, if he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, if he said that and it's not true, then he's a liar. And, and there's no reason to follow him. He can't just be a good teacher, right? He, he can't just be a nice guy who changed the world. He said, I'm God, and if he's not really God then he's the greatest liar that's ever lived. Or maybe he's a lunatic, right? Maybe he just had these delusions of grandeur. But we're not left with the option of saying, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a way, a source of truth, a good teacher. No, no, no. Because he didn't claim that. He claimed that he was truth. And if, he, and if he's not and, and he said it anyway, then he's either a liar or a lunatic or the third option is that he really is the Lord. That he really is who he says he is. And that the only way to find ultimate freedom, even if we don't like it, is by submitting to his truth. John 8, 37, Pilate asked, you're a king then? You say that I'm a king. Jesus replied, I, I was born for this. I've come into the world for this to testify to the truth. And, and listen to this last little phrase of this verse. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, we all want to be people of truth, right? We all want to be people of truth. No, but none of us want to believe a lie. If there is truth, we want to know it. And I believe it's reasonable to believe that Jesus made incredible truth claims, and one of them was people of the truth will listen to my voice. And so I, I want to make a statement this morning. If you want to be a person of truth, then you've got to listen to the voice of Jesus. Even if you don't like it, because truth, truth, we don't discover truth by finding things that we like. That's how we discover things that we like, but that's not how we discover truth. Jesus made some more claims, and I'm wrapping up here. If we want to be people of truth, we must listen to the source of truth, and Jesus claims to be that truth. He also said this in John chapter 17, verse 17. He's praying to the Father for the disciples and for us, for me and you, for all of those who would come after the disciples, and he prays this to the Father. He says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify means to complete, to make whole. Freedom makes us whole. Freedom can, I'm sorry, truth 
makes us whole, makes us complete. Without truth, we are incomplete. Jesus prays for us, for me and for you. Father, sanctify them, complete them, make them whole by the truth. And what is truth? Your word is truth. He also says this in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Jesus said to the Jewish followers who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. Remember, his word is truth. If you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. In verse 32, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It is not true that truth hampers our freedom. Truth completes and enhances our freedom. Because without truth, how could we be free? Come on, we're living in bondage to a lie if we don't submit to the truth. We're the ones that have to submit, not truth. That's stupid. Truth, you have to submit to my will. That's crazy talk. We know it. But we don't like it because we don't want to submit to anything. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Then John 16, verse 13, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, we believe that the Bible teaches that the Godhead is in three persons. We call it the Trinity, the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit and he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears and he will also declare to you what is to come. I I love this because the Holy Spirit submits to the truth. Right? God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they don't have three different stories that they're telling. They they submit and, and live the truth in unity. The Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. He'll speak whatever he hears, declare what is to come. This morning, I believe, that the Holy Spirit will guide you into truth if you will submit and surrender. If you're not willing to surrender, then you're just going to keep fighting. Maybe you like to fight. I like to fight. (laughs) This is so random, but I'm going to say it anyway. When I was in Bible college, I had a a professor. His name was Eli Haru. He was an old man. He was probably in his late 80s when he was teaching us this class, it was called Baptist History and Distinctives. And he came out of fighting Baptist days. And so at the end of every class, he would just stand in the front and say, would anyone like to fight me? That's just what he did. Uh, Because some people just like to fight. It's one thing to fight other people, but don't find yourself fighting against God. I mean, That's a fight you won't win, I promise. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free, but you've got to submit to that truth. And so today, maybe you have objections to the truth of the Bible. And I know I haven't dealt with them all today. Next week, we're going to talk about sin. (laughs) Everybody loves that. There is sin, right? We all know that there's sin. We might all define it a little bit differently. 
but everybody knows that there's sin. The Bible gives us a very reasonable explanation for what sin is and how it affects us. And if we'll listen and submit to it, we can be transformed. So we're going to talk about that next week. The week after that, we're going we're to talk about how can we trust that God is good when, when the world is so out of control. But we can't have those conversations if, we, if we're not coming from the same place. Right? If you're talking about it from this perspective and I'm talking about it from this perspective, we're just going to talk past each other. So, so we've got to say, is there a source of truth? Until we can say, yeah, 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 okay, we can, we can agree, here's the source. Until we come there, there's no sense in arguing about it. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at God's Word, and we're going to assume that God's Word is the source of truth, and that it is reasonable and profitable, and has the power to transform and change us. But today, I want to ask you, if you never have, will you submit to the truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the way to God the way to life, the way to peace, the way to contentment. I am the truth. Not only is Jesus the source of truth, he is the truth. He is truth personified. I am the life. There is no life. Not ultimately outside of Jesus Christ. Because this life that we live can end like that. We did a funeral yesterday. Last weekend, I went to a funeral. When this life is over, we're really going to discover what truth is. So I ask you, would you submit to the truth today? I love the passage that Arthur read during our time of worship Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And and maybe you still have questions and you still have doubts. And I would love to spend time with you as much time as you want and need. You can email me, pastordustin at orlandobaptist.com. Set up a time or email tina at orlandobaptist.com. She helps me with my calendar and we can set up a time to talk. And every question you have, we'll we'll sit and talk about it. This morning starts with little prayer. God, I believe. I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Maybe some of you have never come to a place of submitting to the truth, and today you could do that. Because here's another thing that God's Word says that I believe is true. It is appointed unto man to die one time, and after that, there's judgment. We don't have a bunch of lifetimes to get it right. And so, We have to submit to the truth. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you that you loved us enough to confront us with truth. Because people who allow us to believe a lie and live in a lie, they don't love us. But you loved us enough to come and to be rejected by those who hated truth so that those who would ultimately submit and surrender to you would experience the truth and that truth would set them free. So Lord, I I pray that 
this morning you would give us a confidence and a conviction about your truth. Pray that you would give us faith to surrender and submit to your truth. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a minute because I I want to pray for you and I I want to ask a couple questions. How many of you would say this morning, I I have put my faith in Jesus, but if I'm being honest, hold on, I've got more to that. Put my faith in Jesus, but to be honest, I, I struggle with some of the truths of God's word. I have some questions about some of the truths of God's word. If that's you, I would just ask you to put your hand up so I can pray for you this morning. Yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people like that. Great. Thank you. Praise the Lord. God, I I pray for these folks right now. I pray that you would give them a holy confidence that you are a God who is good and just and loving. God, that you would help them to grow in your truth, that you would complete them or sanctify them by your truth. And God, we're not all there. A lot of us have, all of us have steps to take. Pray that you would give these folks confidence. Let me ask this too. How many of you would say, uh, I, I'm, I'm not a person of faith. I, I've never put my faith in Jesus. But, I, but if, he, if he's real, if it's really true, I want to know. And I ask that you would just pray for me, that God would help me to know the truth. Anybody like that this morning? And then let me ask this, is there anybody who would say, I, I've never come to a place of faith, never submitted to the truth, but today I would like to. Anybody like that? All right. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to sing. Uh, I said we weren't going to, but we're going to. I, I'll just sing it, Art. Uh, and y'all are going to help me. We're going to sing, Give Me Faith. We sang it a few minutes ago. You still have the words right in front of you. Just going to sing the chorus. It says, give me faith to trust what you say. Your love, you are good and your love is great. I'm broken inside. I lay down my life. All right. And uh, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Nah, never mind. Sit down. We're, this room's, yeah, just stay seated. Let's sing. Give me faith to trust what you say. That you're good and your love is great. I'm broken inside. I give you my life. One more time. Give me faith to trust what you say. Come on, sing it out together. Oh, give me faith to trust what you say. That you're good and your love is great. I'm broken inside. I give you my life. And so, Lord, increase our faith for those who are struggling to believe. Lord, help them to believe. For those who have never surrendered and submitted to the truth, who are who are still fighting with you, ultimately. God, I pray that you would draw them and call them because it is your kindness that draws us to repentance. 
God, you are good and your love is great. So draw us near to you. In the next few weeks, as we look at some big questions, God, I, I pray that you would speak to us and through your spirit and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, hey, we're gonna be dismissed in just a minute, but I wanna show you a video real quick as we get ready to launch our community group season. Check this out.